This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode. This industry, we depend super heavily on our equipment. And the more you use it, the dirtier it's going to get, right? So to extend the life of your equipment, your operations rely on. You got to keep yourself clean. So our buddy Daryl Stang from Clean as New came by the studio to talk about how they're using their Texonic technology to clean these huge heat exchangers. Uh, this tech was pretty cool. To my understanding, from what I remember, it was like high-pressure water and sound waves that were used to produce some sort of magic to clean this stuff. So it was pretty, pretty interesting. We definitely learned a lot. It's not something that um, I've ever kind of come across before. So that was pretty cool. Uh, if you didn't know yet, on March 10th, we're hosting uh, Evolve, the next evolution of oil and gas. It's a big virtual event. Uh, big thanks to Technib FMC for being the headlining sponsor. The question that we're trying to answer is, what does the next evolution of oil and gas look like? And what cutting edge technologies can help us get there? Registration is completely free, so just go to digitalwildcatters.com forward slash Evolve. So sorry for the long-winded intro. Let's get right into our TPH Energy Insight of the week and then the episode. All right, so we survived Snowvid. <laughs> we both lost power. You lost power for what, like 48 hours? Yeah, almost two days without power. Got pretty cold in the house. I don't know how cold it was because my thermostat wasn't working, but I know it was cold enough to see my breath in the kitchen. And I was one of the guys that had gritty. So the uh, Twitter activity was lit, making memes about gritty and paying $9 a kilowatt for electricity. So I was fortunate my electricity went out, so I wasn't exposed to paying those prices. But you need to get that $273,000 bill. <laughs> yeah, I got a $200 bill, fortunately. But there was a, you know, it was kind of like a Super Bowl in terms of the energy community. You know, everyone's taking shots at each other. Oil and gas folks are like, oh, this is wind turbine's fault. And then climate tech. And renewable folks are like, this is oil and gas's fault. It's gas fault for failing. And so it's really kind of generated a lot of good discussion from both sides. And one thing that I found really interesting on Twitter this week was that you had both sides coming together to discuss it in a civil way as well. And that hasn't really happened before. And I think that it's so important for the future of energy is to bridge the gap between oil and gas and renewables and and uh, nuclear and things of that nature. And so that we can really solve the energy problems of the world. Because I think, you know, at the end of the day, I think that it's going to be a combination of all energy sources that we need to rely on. And I think that this week was a perfect example of that. You know, wind just really taint and when the uh windmills froze up and there was just no wind anyways you know they tanked and then nat gas picked up the slack form i get all your backup nat gas plants fire up and then you started having issues with supply of nat gas with midstream infrastructure freezing up and uh equipment freezing up at the plants and then even coal and nuclear had dips as well so it's a, uh, I think, a pretty big learning experience for Texas. Nothing was. I think that a lot of us learned how 
ERCOT operates and have a lot of questions about ERCOT. I think that there's going to be some investigations into ERCOT pretty soon. So it'll be interesting to see what happens from a regulatory and policy standpoint, because this was a pretty big event and obviously that'll drive the way that we energize the state moving forward. Yeah, it was, it was unprecedented. So how could you really necessarily plan for it? Well, everybody was like, oh, we well, had a week's notice. Yeah. But a lot of the changes that have to, to take place in order for us to winterize the variety of things that need to be winterized um, would take months, if not years. A week's notice um, so it's not like something. <laughs> Yeah, it's not like that's going to really accomplish anything. So yeah, major failures across the board, across all energy sources. But like Colin said, Nag has to pick up a lot of slack until that itself literally froze over. Um, so it's like it's kind of like the 500 year flood with Harvey. It's like I mean, yeah, you're not in a you're not in a 500 year floodplain, but now that's like now that we've gone through it, it's like is that important again? Do we see another 500 year flood, <laughs> or is it literally going to go 500 years? Or maybe we should kind of rethink what we call these things. Yeah. Um, but I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sick of being part of uh, historical events. Yeah, we've had, Major we've had a lot in Houston. I'm ready for the uh, volcano to appear from nowhere, and that can be our next one. King Kong, Godzilla <laughs> just fighting on the streets. Something's about to happen. So, cool. Uh, we may be dropping a video on this to kind of go a little bit more in depth as to what really happened. Um, let's get right into the episode. What's up, Wildcatters? Welcome back to another episode of the Willing Guest Artist Podcast. Before we get into it, I just want you to know that we have the world's greatest newsletter and if you haven't checked it out, it's the Roundup. Go to the website, sign up for it. A couple hundred of you have signed up for it and you complained you weren't getting it. Technically, on the back end, we fixed it. Go check it out. So <laughs> go subscribe to that. Our bad. There's like a million up. people on that newsletter at least. Probably not, about 5,000 or so. But uh, anyways, we got our guest today, Daryl Sting with Clean is New. Daryl, we got linked up like months and months ago, but obviously COVID, you're Canadian. Leaving the country has been an absolute debacle to try to <laughs> get COVID to tested and all this stuff and sleeping in hotels and the restrictions are a little bit crazy, right? You have to, you have to like quarantine yourself in a hotel for like what, two weeks? No, it's uh you, you got to get a test three days in advance before okay. you get on the plane. Before sorry, even getting on the plane. Before getting on the plane. Then when you get there, there's only four airports open now. So I have to go through Calgary. And then from Calgary, you got to quarantine for 14 days after that. Jeez, that's, and then that's coming crazy. back, you got the same rigmarole. So, yeah. so what part of Canada are you from? Uh, Edmonton, Alberta. Okay, Edmonton. How so far is that from Calgary? About three hours. Three hours. North. Okay. I don't know my my uh, geography. Canadian geography, geography very well. I've only been to Calgary. That was it. Three hours isn't that. It's not that bad of a drive. <laughs> <laughs> it's not as nice. It's very as boring, fighting. but yeah, <laughs> I imagine. So, what is Clean as New? So Clean is New is uh, it's a cleaning company when you get right down to it, but it's it's a lot more than that. We're actually providing an end-to-end -end solution that cleans heat exchangers and components back to like a like new condition. So can you explain what a heat exchanger is? If someone's listening to this podcast and they don't know what that is, you know, sure. kind of paint a picture of what you guys are actually cleaning. Right. So heat exchangers are. Uh, devices, if you will, that refineries and petrochemical plants use to either transfer heat or tr transfer cooling from one process to the other. So typically on one side, you'll have a hot side and on the other side, you'll have a cold side. And these things over time, they get dirty and they call that fouling. Mm -hmm. And when they get too dirty, the efficiency of the plant goes way down. So they, they let it get reached to a point, they call it a fouling factor, 
And when it gets dirty enough that they deem it necessary to remove it, they remove it and clean it. And the idea is to get it as clean as you possibly can. And what the industry has only been able to do, because they only use high pressure, is they're only able to get it to somewhere between uh, 60 and 75, maybe even 80% clean. So you got that other 20% delta that they're unable to take advantage of. And so the only real major difference that we do over and above them is we add ultrasonic cleaning to that. So the ultrasonic cleaning is the wash machine, if you will, and you put the heat exchanger in that, and it's kind of, best way I can explain it, it's like taking a speaker, sticking it underwater, and the sound waves travel, and they create cavitation and make millions and millions of little microbubbles, these cavitation bubbles. And when they attach to the surface of a heat exchanger, they implode and they pull the dirt off of the heat exchanger. And then we use the high pressure for rinsing the dirty stuff off. Maybe an easier way to understand that might be when you're washing, say, a frying pan in your kitchen sink (laughs) and you fill it up with water and soap and you have a frying pan with grease. Well, if you just take the frying pan with the grease and you put it in your dirty soap, the soap's not going to last very long. Mm-hmm. So we do a similar thing. We, you know, try to get the grease off the heat exchanger first by rinsing it. Then we wash it in the ultrasonic bath. Then we rinse it off and then we look at it. Is it clean? Yes, no, no. Put it back in the wash machine. So it's a wash, rinse, and repeat type cycle. So the traditional way of cleaning these heat exchangers is like by pressure washer essentially yeah very high pressure so there's two sides to a heat exchanger there's a few different types but the the most common is called a shell and tube heat exchanger so the shell side is the outside of the heat exchanger and the tube side are all the tubes that are going through it okay so on the tube side typically you're using twenty thousand psi to clean the inside of the tubes and you're running at about 10 gallons per minute per tube. And then on the outside of the heat exchanger, and and the bigger it gets, you can imagine the more volume and pressure you want. But it's we use 10,000 PSI, but 90 gallons a minute of water to rinse it. Gotcha. And so like going up to 20,000 PSI, that's a crazy amount of pressure. Well, and it is very dangerous. If yeah. you get hit with that, it'll... <laughs> like how do you, you know, like not blow holes and stuff? That's what I'm wondering. Well, uh, yeah, that's what, like these heat exchangers... So I'm not familiar with this process at all. So actually, I find this pretty fascinating because I feel like I'm going into this blind and that doesn't always happen on this podcast. But how big are these heat exchangers? Um, first off, I mean, are we talking about something that's big enough for, you know, you to walk through if you're a human or are these, you know, small? How, how big are they? Well, they vary in size, obviously, but we work at our facility in Baytown. We can handle a heat exchanger that's 32 feet long and six feet in diameter. Okay. And that'll typically have between 1,500 and 2,000 tubes in it. Okay. So they're fairly large. And so when you talked about, you know, having this process where you're actually pressure washing it, but then you guys are using the ultrasonic and you called it, I think you referenced it as like a bath, like you're putting it in there. How does that actually, like, how does y'all's technology, how's the ultrasonic technology actually work? Like, is it this uh, container that you're actually putting the heat exchanger down in and it's using the ultrasonic to go through the process? How does that look? Right. Like, so I don't know if you're familiar with how, how jewelers clean rings and watches. 
And they I should had, not. No. Neither one of us actually wear rings. Yeah. I, I, have, I have one piece of jewelry, but, <laughs> yeah. but I'm aware of it because we're in the business. But, yeah. <laughs> but basically what you have, you, let's just use a ring, for example. Yeah. So a jeweler has a little bath in his little ultrasonic machine and you drop a ring in it. Yeah. And they clean it and it comes out nice and shiny and spotless. So ours is just on a much more industrial scale. Uh, we have 120 uh, resonant rods in it, and that's what's creating the sound. And so it's the same kind of thing, but a much bigger bath, if you will. Yeah. So you fill it up with water, and then you add your different chemistries. There, we use two different kinds. Uh, if you're cleaning something that has a carbon fouling on it, we'll use a surfactant, so like soap in your sink, if you mm-hmm. will. Mm-hmm. And then if we're cleaning off calcium or that, we'll use an organic acid. Yeah. to take the calcium off. And, and so the ultrasound speeds it up. It's 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 your wash machine, if you will. Gotcha. And the reason you guys clean these is because they're probably really expensive. You don't want to go out and buy entirely new ones. You can just spray them off really quickly, pop new ones in, and you're good to go, right? As opposed to, I just imagine it would be expensive to just constantly replace these parts, right? With the heat exchanger itself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's quite a process. Like, uh, you know, an outage could run a client... You know, anywhere from a hundred to two hundred million dollars. You know, so it's there's a lot of things going on, but the heat exchangers are the, a big component because the better and cleaner the heat exchanger, uh, the better the heat transfer, the better the heat transfer, the less energy you use, and so they want to get it as clean as they possibly can. And of course, if you burn less energy, you also lower your greenhouse gas emissions. Mm-hmm. So all it's just snowball effect. The dirtier yeah. it gets, the more energy you use. The more energy you use, the more greenhouse gases you have, and vice versa. So I'm not yeah. super like we're not like downstream experts by any means. So or in the refiners, <laughs> or really anything other than memes. But <laughs> so to say, like during a plan turnaround, would this be one of the pieces that they would would pull out with the heat exchanger and then clean that along with maybe some other pieces and then pop that back in? That's right. So okay. when they when they shut a plant down, they're doing a lot of things. They might even be adding, you know, doing some construction to add onto the plant. Uh, but the, the piece that we're doing um, is anything that they remove for cleaning. It could be valves, demister pads. Uh, you know, you've seen the distillation columns at a refinery. So all the trays and packing, uh, rotors, pump rotors, compressor rotors, things like that. Do you guys do all that or you just do yeah. the heat exchanger? Okay. Yeah. So, I mean... The big focus in the industry is on heat exchangers because that's where the most amount of money is. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, in a perfect world for me, we just do parts. Yeah. You can imagine a 32-foot long, 6-foot wide, 8-foot high bath, how many valves we could clean at one time mm-hmm. versus one heat exchanger at a time. Yeah. <laughs> so I quite- think this is, like, really interesting. Just, that, like, for one, just the magnitude of some of these parts – I know a guy who runs the uh, largest mach- machine shop here in Houston. It's actually the largest in this hemisphere. And so he manufactures these gigantic pieces, like gigantic gears and stuff for rigs and for refineries. And just it's mostly oil filled clientele, just based on where we're at. And I did a tour there with him, and you're just seeing these gigantic machines that are going in there and just, just drilling all sorts of holes and cutting out. And then I don't even know how they transport these damn things because they're so big. Like I saw this one gear that was literally bigger than our entire set here. <laughs> I was like, what do you put that in? Yeah. You know, it's nuts. So I think it's cool. So one, you said that y'all's facilities in Baytown, you're from Canada. Tell me about your background. You know, how'd you get in the oil and gas industry? 
tell us, you know, everything that led up to the point of, uh, clean is new and what kind of led you to this company and idea. Right. So it's a bit convoluted. I don't know how far back you want me to go, but I'll just go. <laughs> I, I to tell my people pre- we have all the time. My previous life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, um, uh, I used to be in construction actually. I was a president of a company that, uh, called Nason Contracting Group. We designed and built water and wastewater treatment plants. And we, we built over 400 of them. And in, uh, I think it was January of 2012, uh, we sold the company to a publicly traded company and uh, I retired at my home in Florida, gave that a whirl, yeah. uh, played a little golf, got my ass kicked at just about anything, <laughs> pick a topic, they all whoop me because they, they've been retired a lot longer than me. <laughs> That's more and I wasn't time. that old yet and I was quite frankly got bored. Yeah. <laughs> so I convinced some of my wealthier friends to uh, create a mutual fund. So we started our own mutual fund and uh, we bought a few companies and we own and operate all our own companies. Cool. And we allow all of our employees to invest. That's actually why I came out of retirement to try to figure out a way to have management and employees work together and benefit together. Yeah. I figure if we don't start doing something as a society, uh, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. And so what's kind of cool is we have 100% participation. Very cool. And then in November of 2015, um, our CFO brought Texonic to the table and said, I think we should buy this company. I said, well, what does it do? And they go, well, it does cleaning. I go, well, how does cleaning fit in our our strategy, our portfolio? And they go, well, it'll be recurring revenue. I go, well, you have to explain that one a little bit more. But the more I learned about uh, what it would do and how much it would help the industry and the size of the opportunity, I mean, it's just mind-boggling how much is at stake, not just for us, but more importantly for the industry itself. Mm -hmm. Um, I got excited about it and we bought it. Quite frankly, thought it would take a, a week or two and we would just be rocking and rolling, but it wasn't quite that easy. <laughs> it never is, right? It never is, no. <laughs> so this is really interesting. So you come out of retirement, you're like, oh, maybe golf's not for me. And you guys start up a fund. How long were you retired for? Uh, well, realistically, probably six weeks. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> maybe sounds, not even that. That sounds long. like me. That sounds like me. Like, yeah, I'm going to get retired. Yeah. yeah everyone really. else says, no, you just took a holiday. Yeah. <laughs> it's extended holiday. Put it this way. I had no business at that point. No. Yeah. <laughs> so. so you guys decided to put together this fund and go uh, acquire and operate businesses. You know, you talked about this one didn't really fit within y'all's thesis or strategy at first sight. What was y'all's thesis or strategy starting out with the fund? You know, what kind of businesses were you looking for? Well, we anything we got into, we wanted to have recurring revenue yeah. because all of our employees are invested. But we also have, there's a couple of rules, close business associates, close personal friends. So you got family involved in that. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and a lot of my friends, you know, I'm, I'm 61 now and I'm on the younger side of some of these guys and you know, they're all looking for recurring revenue. So the, anything yeah. that you had, had a recurring thing. So, yeah. How so, does yeah. that, how does that model work with, with employees participating? I actually drove by a building the other day and it proudly said across the side, you know, is employee owned, employee operated. Like, so how do, do like, do you guys pay out distributions? How does the, how do the contributions work? All that kind of stuff. Cause I, I'm just not too familiar with anybody doing that. Oh, so <coughs> excuse me. So the way it works is, uh, um, so you have a fund. The fund has to always have control of all the businesses that you operate. 
and they're all, you know, in Canada, they call them an LP. Here you call them an LLC, same kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So it's a flow through. So any profit or losses you make flows up to the fund and all of the employees invest in the fund. And then as the money goes up, it's just prorated. Whatever you invest, you get your prorated portion. Mm -hmm. It's pretty simple. Yeah. And then we do a few other things like we match them up to 5% of their uh, uh, retirement contribution, like your 401k. Yeah. Let's talk about, you know, the comment (coughs) that you made about wanting to help people and, you know, really kind of the, 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 thinking around helping society because that's a pretty big point. I mean, the wealth inequality that we're having, you know, not just the United States, but across the world, there's not a lot of opportunity for people to be invested in something and make a return on their hard work. Let's dive into that a little bit because that's really interesting. Especially to me, like the rules and regulations around investing and being an accredited investor and what you can, but yeah. you, you can play the lottery, you can do a variety of other things, but you, yeah. if you're not an accredited investor, they're saying, hey, we have this law to protect you from yourself and you can't participate. You yeah. Know, I, I mean, there's a variety of ways of doing it. Like the one we have, uh, you know, the, it just has the four rules. Um, you know, mm-hmm. you have to be an employee. Uh you have to be a close personal friend, a close personal uh, business associate, or as you said, accredited. Yeah. And the idea is that, you know, they trust you. And when you're accredited, you're supposed to be smart enough to know better. Yeah. Right. So those are the only four that can invest in our particular fund. And we're doing work. We have a plan down here, but uh, the rules got tightened up after uh, everything happened in 08 for the whole world. Yeah. The rules tightened up in your country a little bit more than ours. Yeah. So so the way it works uh, for all of them is, well, let me back up a bit. So in my previous life, we did quite well. We actually made 184% for 12 consecutive years on average on our invested awesome. capital. And we allowed the, we gave a third of the company to the employees and they invested in the company, um, some of them, but most didn't. And we had two rules. You had to be with us at your end, which was the end of January. And then we had our AGM six months down the road so that they'd earn six months of the upcoming year as a way to attract and retain people. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'd have people quit a couple of days before our AGM and lose a $20,000 dividend. So clearly we did a poor job of communicating that. We think that was one of the problems. And the other problem I think we did wrong is we actually gave it to them. Whereas in the new thing that we have, this mutual fund, it's skin to win. You have to put your own money in. Yeah. And then when you put your own money in, and it's just like night and day. I mean, you don't have to babysit anybody because it's their money. They're giving us heck if we buy toilet paper that was too expensive. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm exaggerating for a fact. Yeah, but, yeah. But it, They're it's, incentivized it's, it's now. just a breath of fresh air. So. You, you help everyone out, everybody plays together, but we're way more profitable because the employees care mm-hmm. because it's their money. Yeah. So it works well. And uh, uh, we're working on getting that going here uh, in Baytown for Clean is New. And we plan on doing exactly the same kind of thing. We just have to do a different structure here. Yeah. Talk about having your employees, you know, having aligned incentives that, that works really well if they're putting their own money yep, in. Smart. Okay. We don't need two ply toilet paper. We only so, need one ply. <laughs> you know, that model's growing. You know, at, at first I never heard about, but there's probably 2,000 different funds like that. 
in in Canada already, and wow. And I know down here there's different employee packages. Oh that. yeah, for sure. So yeah. it, it's it's growing. Yeah, which is so good. How how long has uh, Clean is New? First, tell us about the relationship between uh, because you guys actually acquired. Techsonic is that who you correct bought? Yeah, is and that the actual technology of the the sound waves and stuff? Yeah, so that, you use Techsonic within Clean as New. That's right. So Clean as New is more of the service, right? right? So Techsonic a little background on that. So when we bought the company, um, it looked like a no brainer to me until we tried selling these things. So we were going to manufacture and sell ultrasonic cleaning systems, but they're two and a half million bucks each. Hmm. So you don't sell them like chocolate bars, right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so. We tried selling them to all the industrial service providers or partnering. We've tried all kinds of things. And the previous owner spent 10 years trying to make that work. Well, that's a definition of insanity. So when we bought it, it didn't take very long to realize that if we're going to be successful and sell equipment, we're going to have to get into the cleaning arena. And so that's what we did. And, uh, of course, it's a lot more expensive. It's not just the ultrasonic cleaning equipment. If you get a chance to pop by, it's... It's a whole process. It's a total solution from one end to the other. Yeah. One, one of our companies is a software company, and we had them write a cloud-based interface. So everything we do from the time we send a quote to the client to operating the equipment, tracking safety, the environmental, everything is all in one software package on the cloud. Oh, cool. And, and so we, you know, it, it, it's really is an end-to-end thing. It's not just ultrasonic cleaning. It involves yeah. several other processes. What really allured you guys about, like, TechSonic? Was it just, like, the technology? Were you just absolutely fascinated with it? Outside of the recurring revenue piece. Well, yeah, and it's not recurring revenue by any means. But, no. uh, well, our, as I said earlier, our CFO stumbled across it mm. and said we should took a, take a look at it because we were looking to, you know, purchase companies to mm-hmm. own and operate because we had excess capital in our fund and we had no home for it. So it dilutes your investors. So we were looking for something else and he brought Texonic to the table. And once we had a close look at it, we thought, well, this is a no brainer. This should take off immediately. So that's why we bought it. And of course there were a few more challenges than what we thought. (laughs) So like we mentioned, we've partnered with DataGration uh, over the next six months for the Oil and Gas Artist podcast. We've been talking about them and their PetroVisor platform over the last couple episodes. In a few weeks, we'll actually be releasing, if you're listening to this in real time, which is uh, kind of middle of uh, February 2021, uh, we'll be releasing an episode with the chairman and one of the big investors for Degradation, Peter Bernard. Such a fantastic episode. We had a good time chatting with him. So be on the lookout for that. Um, EMP companies, the goal today is not just to maximize production, but also select well-defined opportunities. Uh, and execute the best possible scenario to maximize return on investment. We've talked about that for a long time. An operator in the Middle East approached data creation with some very specific objectives. They need a platform that they could recommend well candidates for workovers or infill drilling, ranked by financial metrics, production, probability of success, and other technical indicators. Blows my mind this is not being done yet. The platform also needed to anticipate risk mitigating actions to enhance and ensure a reservoir production by recognizing certain patterns and common failures using a problem score to identify issues on underperforming wells. For the operator, reservoir conditions and well performance parameters are continually changing and the lack of automation inhibits the desire for continuous well optimization. 
By implementing the PetroVisor platform, the operator was able to integrate data from flat files, simulation outputs, static and dynamic models, and legacy data, thus creating a single version of truth with data available to all disciplines, the operator, managers, production engineers, and reservoir engineers. The operator streamlined the process for both well placement and workover candidate selection. It's kind of a no-brainer. Let's run through some quick numbers for these guys. Uh, they gain real-time performance monitoring and feedback to further validate selection process in future fields and delivered an MPV improvement of $751 million, which is a 33% increase, and reduced CapEx by $15.4 million, which is a decrease of 34%. Integration is a no-brainer. If you've known me or what I've done in, in kind of this industry or what I've been attempting to do, um, solving this problem was a big part of it. And so we're super glad to be partnering with Integration. Um, they make things like this possible. Um, so go check them out, datagration.com, and check these guys out, ask for a demo. Let's get back to the episode. Yeah. So you guys, you know, you bought the technology and then you set up a service, you know, essentially a, a service business, which is clean as new. And I'm sure that um, required an amount of capital to get that set up. I'm sure that you need a ton of infrastructure around that. You know, you got to go hire employees and um, everything that comes along with that. And then you guys actually built out a software package for it too. So this, you know, sounds, it wasn't just, you know, buying a technology. It was actually setting up an entire service business around it and then building technology for it as well. Kind of walk us through some of the challenges of that. You know, it kind of sounds like, you know, once you acquired the technology, you, you realize like, oh, this isn't just going to, not going to be able to, to sell it. What were the challenges of setting up all of these different, entities and, and um, infrastructure that you needed? Well, um, if you might imagine, we're, we're a relatively small fund when you talk yeah. about funds. Yeah. <clears throat> and so even though we have no debt, uh, when you start building these facilities, uh, they're about $25 million a pop. Yeah. And if you can imagine, uh, anytime you do something the first time, never goes as smoothly as the second <laughs> or the third. So Absolutely. we're looking really forward to number four. Yeah. Uh, but you asked me what some of the challenges are. So I mentioned earlier, I in, was in water and wastewater all my life. You'd have thought that would have been the thing we would have been the best at. And uh, we have another one of our companies actually manufactures the equipment. So we designed and built our own just like we always did. Well, industrial waste is not the same as municipal waste, I can tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> so every time we would clean something, if you got something from Exxon and it was carbon, and then the next time you got something from Lyondell or Arkema and it was acrylic acid or fluoride, uh, your influent waste quality keeps changing. So it's a constant struggle to treat that. So we've actually shifted our focus to refining and olefins for now until we, we get the kinks out of the armor a little bit. Yeah. So we've had challenges with the wastewater uh, because of the influent quality. We think we got got it nailed. We'll find out here in a few months. We just added another million and a half worth of gear to make it work. Awesome. Um, <clears throat> the other challenge is, uh, I mean, the ultrasonic part is, quite frankly, is brain dead simple. It's like putting your clothes in the washing machine, close the <laughs> lid, and when, when the buzzer goes off, take it out and see if it's clean. But there's, there's the high pressure side to that. Yeah. I actually feel for that industry because I, I can't believe the headaches that it's caused. First off, it takes up the bulk of the building. Yeah. Uh, two, you're spraying water all the time. You got to keep it clean. Uh, three, we actually added soap to the situation. So all of our competitors just spray with water. 
Yeah. Well, we have soap in our bath because try to wash your hands when you get grease on them without putting any soap on them. You got to rub for quite a while, right? Yeah. But if you put a little bit of soap on it, it comes off, you know, relatively easy. Well, the same applies to a heat exchanger. Yeah. Then we take it out and we rinse it off. Oh, what do you think we're rinsing on the on the ground and into our waste system? Soap. Soap. And even though we have really good treatment systems, takes it down to 0.01 microns, that soap finds its way through everything. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, sometimes when we were first learning, it looked like, uh, you know, you poured a whole bottle of bubble bath in your in your bathtub and filled it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, we're getting that to a science. But so anyway, that's been the single biggest challenge with waste that, is removing the soap. That actually reminds me, when I used to work on rigs, I spent a lot of my time pressure washing and scrubbing the rig. And we used to have a huge water tank where the pressure washers would feed from and everything would feed from that water tank. And I would just take a huge drum of soap and I would dump it into that bath. That way, when I would spray the pressure washer, it would just be spraying soap on the rig. And it's always a good idea when you're doing it. And then, like you said, that soap always finds its way, you know, into just everything. Well, you, so, you wouldn't think soap would go through 0.01 micron filters, but it yeah, does. Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> so then you're building up soap in your water because we recycle 95% of our water. Yeah, so you start building up soap right, resi so, residue so, in, the, right, in the water so system. We're, we're going to use granulated activated carbon. We've tested it already. It does remove it quite easily. Yeah. And then we're going to regenerate it with ozone, but, but it, it does work well. And without the soap, I mean, it just, it would take a lot longer to clean. And yeah, that's one of the reasons we're twice as fast because you're using ultrasound to do the cleaning, but you're also using the right soap Yeah, that helps remove it much quicker. And that's what makes us quite a bit faster than doing it just with high pressure. Yeah. How long does it take to clean like one gigantic heat exchanger start well, to finish? It really, it depends on the degree of fouling, but mm -hmm. uh, it can vary anywhere from an hour to... A, a full day if it's a real bad actor. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the our clients have told us they've spent, you know, five days to 10 days on a wash pad constantly blasting. Yeah. The real challenge <clears throat> where we make the most difference is on the outside of the bundle, the shell side, they call it. And the reason is, is when you're spraying water, water doesn't bend. So it doesn't get in on around all the tubes. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially if you get into one what's called a triangular pitch where all they're all the holes there's no cleaning lanes in them if you will and uh, so that's really where we shine we get it back to design performance like to brand new yeah whereas the other guys the reason they can't get at it is because you simply can't reach it with the high pressure yeah you just can't hit it yeah so you said that you guys have four of these units operating is that what you said no, no. There, well, there's three baths in the Baytown one. Okay, gotcha. And uh, we were about to expand. We purchased the land just off Industrial Drive in Geismer, and we also have land in the Wildcat Industrial Park in Corpus Christi. Oh, okay. Opened in 19 with our cleaning facility. Then COVID came right after that. And yeah, great well, timing. Great. Timing. The rest has uh, <laughs> been a challenge. Yeah. Actually, it's probably helped us a little bit because. Um, <clears throat> You know, COVID just sucks and we all want it to be gone. But for us, it kind of slowed things down and allowed us to market more mm -hmm. um, with everybody trying to reduce cost. You know, when they were busy, you know, you're doing things all the same way all the time. Nobody wanted to give us a time of day. Yeah. Uh, so it's it, because of they're looking for cost and looking, you know, 
by getting it cleaner as well as saving money, uh, you know, they're able to reduce it a lot more. Yeah. So is that a value proposition for, for y'all is not only can you get it cleaner, but it's more, it, it's cost effective as well compared to traditional. Yeah. Methods. So, so one of our challenges is, and you can imagine the existing industry, they're all looking at us as a threat and, and yeah. quite frankly, it is a threat to them. Yeah. Not that we're trying to put them out of business or anything, but yeah, we're, we're faster. Yeah. Right. And, and we get it cleaner. So, um, <clears throat> you know, Shell and Brascam, for example, they've publicly uh, uh, published that we're uh, twice as fast at half the cost. Wow. And we've also done these with a couple other companies. We're under NDA with everybody, so nobody wants us yeah. sharing the information. But we've now done this four times. And in all cases, we've been uh, less than 50% of the cost. So that makes us less expensive. So to engage the clients, especially when they think we're too expensive, we clean a couple heat exchangers for free. So under normal numbers, it's depending on the size, it could be anywhere from 10 to 20,000 a bundle. So it's an, a decent savings for them. Yeah. But what we're asking them to do is take a previous turnaround where they clean, say, 80 heat exchangers and add up all their costs, like detail them out, give us that same list, we'll give them a price, put the two side by side, and well, how do we compare? Yeah. And we, and we just did one with Chevron where we were 25% of what they actually spent. That's crazy. So, uh, you so know. Yeah, strong value proposition if you can come in and be like, So hey, that's, can- from, that's from the cost side. But the cleaning, quite frankly, is the very small component of the value. The value is having those bundles clean. Yeah. Because if, if we can get it 20% cleaner, that's anywhere from 45 to 50% of the uh, uh the energy or mm-hmm. sorry, the heat transfer, yeah, which is, you know, it'll lower the greenhouse gas emissions. We've our, our modeling that we've done, we spent several million working on a model. Our modeling is showing us that in the U S refining industry, it's about 10 to 15% reduction in greenhouse gases. So, um, of course, you know, our clients got to validate it is a model and they have other nuances that affect it, but we've done, not only the, the, so that wash pad comparison that I told you on price, that's one of the items we do where we clean a bundle for free. The other one is we're trying to focus on the business units that they call them money bundles. So they're, what's, they're crude preheat, they're FCCs, they're cokers and cooling water bundles. So we're focusing on that and we'll clean a bundle uh, for each of those for free providing they share the data, uh, where their, their performance data, where they were the last couple times they cleaned it with hydroblasting. And then when they put it back into service after we clean it, give us the data over the next few intervals mm-hmm. uh, of how we've done. And all indications we've done about, I think, a dozen already for different oil companies here. And uh, it's pretty significant. Some of them are showing on an FCC where we're, Oh, I should back up a bit. So we have a heat transfer specialist in-house now. Okay. Uh, he was with Exxon for 23 years, a former Exxon uh, heat transfer specialist. And he uses this software called uh, HTRI. It's a heat transfer research institute. Okay. And it's the same ones all the players use uh, for calculating, you know, their, their performance. So he takes their data puts it into the same software they use, and then it spits out the results. 
And so we're using EPA numbers to come up with the CO2 reduction. And then we're calculating the energy that we're saving them. And then the one thing we don't have is how much did they save on production? Yeah. But we're getting results back for cleaning a single bundle, not counting the production side of it, anywhere from 100,000 to seven, 800,000 in just energy. And the highest we've seen in CO2 reduction has been 10,000 uh, tons with one bundle. Wow. So like cleaning these more effectively they are more efficient therefore it's lower energy therefore they can essentially lower the greenhouse emissions which could help bolster their esg score yeah uh, uh, probably a simple way of looking imagine if you were off-roading with your truck and you go through mud and that and your radiator plugs up with mud it's going to be a lot harder to cool your engine you know a lot about that almost blew some motors in my old trucks just <laughs> with them being caked in mud need a bigger heat exchanger <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, that, that the, the so the cleaning part is the insignificant cost. It's the downstream value for the client in in energy production because they're cleaner. They can run them longer. Yeah, you know. And then of course with the uh, you know the public, uh, even your current administration. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's all around the world, I guess. And yeah. uh, the market now putting a tremendous amount of pressure on all these companies to improve their. ESG performance. I mean, this is right in their wheelhouse to do that. So. Yeah. How has the learning curve been for you, you know, coming from construction and then, you know, now you're in downstream oil and gas. I mean, obviously, you know what you're talking about now. How was it for you, you know, like kind of injecting yourself <laughs> into the industry and learning everything? Well, I appreciate the compliment, but I consider myself a first-year apprentice still. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know enough to be dangerous, but we have a lot yeah. of smart guys that are, are associated with us. Yeah. I'm, I'm like a sponge. I'm constantly learning, but yeah. uh, um, that's, you that's know, the, the, secret. the team we got really knows what they're doing and, and, and how to explain it and how to help the clients understand how they can be uh, improving their performance and that. So that, those are the kind of people we're trying to hire. Yeah, absolutely. How many people are y'all uh, up to now in, in the Baytown area? Uh, well, we probably have on the business development side is probably a dozen now. Awesome. And But the plants don't require many people. We only need three people per shift to run a wow, 30,000 really? square foot facility. Yeah, That's awesome. Because everything's fully automated. Yeah. And, you know, everybody's, there's no high pressure risk. Yeah. Because our staff, I don't know if you watched our video, but our staff are up in an air conditioned control room. We have a ping pong table so they can hone their skills at that. We have a pool table. <laughs> because it's like, skills. you know, it, it, it really in. gets to a point. It's kind of like uh, putting your, again, putting your clothes in the wash <laughs> yeah. machine and just stare at the wash machine until the buzzer goes. Yeah. You know, so that's why we added a couple of those things for our staff to, yeah, to do if they're, if they're slow. Keep them from going crazy. So the more automated you get, it's it, it gets a little bit boring, quite frankly. Yeah, for sure. So for you guys, you know, obviously with the fund, you're acquiring these businesses. This one, um, you know, it sounds like you had to stand up a lot of infrastructure. Sounds like you guys were going to scale it into uh, different areas like down in Corpus. Is that still the goal after everything comes back to normal after COVID? You guys anticipate scaling the business up around the coastal cities? Yeah, I, I should point out, you know, even though we have a fund, this is a very expensive endeavor. Yeah. So we had to, 
you know, we have no debt, but we knew we needed a lot more capital. So we, yeah. we partnered with a private equity firm out of Minnesota. Gotcha. And uh, so we have the patents around the world for the technology. Oh, wow. And our, our goal is to do this all over the world. And we're yeah. started in the Gulf Coast because, I mean, that's the hub of where everything happens. And if yeah. we, we thought if we can't make it here, we won't make it anywhere. But it's really starting to take off. But we'll... So we'll start there, and then we'll work our way north uh, into the U.S., and and then we'll probably head to Europe after that, depending on, gotcha. on what the market. And yeah. just staying focused yes. on the refinery markets? Uh, refinery, olefins, and and we're working on uh, on chemistries for the bath for, uh, you know, when you get into polymers and plastics and things, uh, they're more of a challenge for everybody for that matter. But it's a matter of finding the right chemistry. Like when we got our organic acid right, um, it takes scaling off very, very quickly. We cleaned quite a few heat exchangers recently uh, that had scaling on, and it goes very fast. So yeah. w- what is the right chemistry for cleaning a, a, you know, polymers or plastics or things like that to break it down? Yeah. Yeah, I was um, when you're mentioning that the facilities are like $25 million, I like, you know, just a very capital intensive business. So I was going to ask if you guys had taken on additional equity financing or anything. So that answered that question. But yeah. that's what I was like, kind of like fascinated that you guys bought this business. And then you set up the service side because like, that's a lot of infrastructure. And it's a lot of infrastructure, a lot of capital is required. <laughs> it is. But, it, you know, it's a really good business, too. Yeah. We, we have the capital. Yeah. We have the technology. Yeah. But we're, we're shy yet is opportunity. And, uh, you Could know, these- we've spent quite a bit of money and time on, on marketing, but still you ask people that are in the industry if they heard about us and, you know, clean as new who, you know, so, yeah. so we're, we're still working on but that. that. But, but that's good though. That means you have a ton of opportunity to grow into, right? That's how yeah. I, how I see it. Yeah, so. Well, there's more opportunity than most people can handle. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, you know, we want to get our share of it, I guess. But I love businesses like this because, you know, especially on the show and just a lot of people I talk to, it's always um, businesses that are more geared towards technology and, you know, software and things of that nature. And you take a business like this, like this isn't a sexy business, right? Like cleaning heat exchangers, like there's nothing sexy about it. But I love businesses like this because there's just the amount of opportunity and money that you can make doing it. I mean, there's a huge market for it. And so I love the idea of- We've been fascinated with car washes for for a long time. Yeah. Just like how those are cash cows. (laughs) Like every time there's a car wash by my my house, uh, it's called Quick Quack. It's kind of a franchise now. But every time I go in and there's a, ten, a tenant who like kind of wheels your car in, whatever, and then it does the automatic stuff. And I'm like, all right, how many how many people did you guys see this month? And he's like, oh, we had like 3,000 people come through. And I'm like doing the math. I'm like, yo, this place is like small. Like there's not a whole lot of money that goes into it. You can just make a lot of cash. Well, it, it, you know, it's funny you bring that up because that's exactly what we're trying to do is emulate a car wash. <laughs> yeah. right? You bring the heat exchanger in and then it's all automated. Yeah. Our, we're actually developing our own high pressure equipment so that it will be fully automated. Oh, cool. But I, I'm just shocked that an industry this big and the equipment that you can actually buy, it's quite frankly, in my opinion, junk. Yeah. Uh, we have some stuff that is supposed to be state of the art. It's barely a year old and it looks like it's been there for a hundred years already. Really? Yeah. So, so we're in tears already. We sat down with our team, you know, and these guys have been doing this all their lives. And what would you like to see different? And we got everybody's ideas and we went back and forth with our engineering department and 
we're actually going to be prototyping it uh, in the first week of April. That's pretty cool. So cross our fingers, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's the first time, so well, no, I'm sure we'll have no, a few it, kinks in the yeah, but it's really cool. Too. Like you, you take this business that is a service-based business, but then you introduce, uh, you, know, you guys developed a software. So now it's end-to-end solution that's software-driven, and then you're looking at the physical aspect of it. You're like, man, this equipment's junk, and it's the state of the art. We can build something better. So. I think that that's actually pretty cool from a technological perspective. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what we were, what our original company was, was yeah. to design and build things. Right? Yeah. We didn't know we were going to get into operations, but in order to sell the equipment, we <laughs> yeah. pretty much had no choice. Nobody wanted to play ball with us. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So if someone's listening to this show and, you know, they're uh, downstream at a refinery and they've got some heat exchangers that they've got up uh, for cleaning. Where can they find you guys? Do you have a website for Clean as New? Um, you know, email, LinkedIn, how do they get a hold of you? Yeah, I would say the best way to get a hold of us is just go to cleanasnew.com. Okay, We have cool. an information video that shows how we do it. Awesome. And then uh, our phone number and everything's on there and just reach out to us. And again, what we're trying to do is encourage every uh, plant, let's just use refineries. You got these money bundles, you call them. Uh, they're the bad actors, and will give us an opportunity to clean them for free for you and see, let the data speak for itself. We're not trying to snowball you on anything, and we're putting our money where our mouth is. And yeah, all we're asking for them is an opportunity. And you know, you get basically six free bundles cleaned. And so uh, can be that <laughs> even if you never use us, you saved the cleaning cost yeah. on six bundles. So that's a, what we're it's asking. a hell of an offer. I love it. That's what we're asking everyone to do. And it is a bit of a challenge. I mean, we are a threat to the industry and yeah. And so they're not going to just let us uh, walk in and eat their lunch, you know? Oh yeah, for sure. There's always, and it's always resistance. Yeah. Always resistance when you're disruptive. I always equate it to, you know, like the fax machine versus the internet. I mean, the internet came in and worked really well. But fax machines hung in there for 10 years. So, <laughs> Put up a uh, you know, I'm, I am getting older, everyone that's listening. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I mean, that's just the joys of bringing in something new, right? Absolutely. Well, well this is fascinating. This yeah. is a completely different side of the sector and a completely different type of technology than what we're used to talking about. You know, it's not the it's not the tech startup and it's not the oil field service stuff that we see in upstream and midstream. So thanks for coming on, man. This was, this was a good... Good chat, and I learned a lot today. Yeah, I did too. Appreciate well, you coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yep. All right, guys. Like I said in the beginning of the episode, go subscribe to the Roundup uh, newsletter. Also, Roundup Podcast, calling in uh, Rob Norton. Have a little bromance on that show. Uh, it's weekly oil news, weekly energy news as a whole. Go check it out. Catch you guys in the next episode. Go, 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 go.